Good morning. Who, who has, if you think about your life over the years, who have been some of your, and don't say it out loud unless you really feel compelled to, one of some of your greatest mentors that you remember? Some of the people that, that truly spoke into you, that kind of shaped who you were, right? These are, these are trusted people throughout your life that have steered you in the right direction. Maybe it's a, a trusted person from your youth, uh, you know, a mentor of some kind, uh, maybe a college professor in your college years that, that really shaped you. I have a few of those that I think back to uh, that I just, I see my, my personality developing a little bit out of theirs and those kinds of things. Like if you put these seven people together across your life, they kind of all together really make up who you are, right? Because you get a little bit from each one of them. Um, I always joke that you could, if you listen to the six or seven people that have influenced my preaching over the years that I've sat under, and you put them all together in a bowl and mix them up, it sounds like me, right? Because they, they influence the way that, that I speak, the way that I approach sermon writing and, and, and preaching and all those kinds of things. And so we have those folks. Maybe it's a, a mentor in your career field. Maybe you had your first job and there was someone who really took you under your wing, and a lot of the, the qualities that you have professionally come from having sat under them and have watched them do it in a way that was compelling or just good or right or ethical or any of those things, right? Maybe it's your, your parents. For a lot of you, I would hope that one of our primary <laughs> mentoring influences in life is our parents. As I look at my kids, I hope certainly that that gets to be the case someday, although if looking at me, maybe not too much, right? But you know, for whatever reason, it could be your spouse, it could be anybody, but think of those people that have really kind of been shaping to you. There's the, they're the people that over the years you have received good counsel from, right? And that counsel has shaped who you are, right? When you look back, this counsel is what's responsible for the person that you have become today. You, you are a, a blended of creative uniqueness of who you are made to be by God and a product of all of the people that have spoken into you over the years, right? How many of you never thought that you were like your parents until you had a kid yourself and you realized, oh, I'm way more like <laughs> than I thought I was, right? Brent and I both see certain amount traces of, 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 our, of our parents in ourselves when we, when we parent. And so you, you see that, that influence, right? This morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about a different kind of counselor, right? We're in this first week of Advent. We have four Sundays until we get to Christmas Eve. This, week, this year is a little bit weird because Christmas Eve is the fourth Sunday. So we're going we're gonna to have church for the next four weeks in the morning. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be here in the morning for the last Advent sermon and then back at 7 p.m. And so if, you're, if, you're gonna, if you have to come to one of those, come in the evening. But awesome, you know, come to both because more church is better church. Amen? So you all say amen now. Let's, let's, see, let's see if you back it up on Sunday, right? Faith without works is dead, I think it says in James. Just, just throwing that out there. You know. <laughs> but, but Advent literally means coming. Like the word Advent means coming. It is, it is the coming of Christ. And it's the season that he gives us to be a time of preparation, right? There's, there's, there's things that you hear and texts that we read for the, for the four or five weeks leading up to Christmas. And, and when you read them, they're familiar, right? You come on Christmas Eve and you hear usually Isaiah or, or Zechariah, or as we talked about in the Minor Prophets, there's some Malachi that comes out because Malachi gives a lot of detail about the coming Christ. You hear these passages all the time, right? But so this year, we're going to spend, a little unique, four weeks on one single verse in Scripture. 
One single verse. I had a, a professor once that wrote their doctoral dissertation on one single verse in the book of John. And I don't know how on earth you, you do that. Right? How you spend all of that time, months and months and months in, in one verse. But we're going to do it for four weeks. And it's one of the most densest verses in all of Scripture. There's more contained within this one verse about God and Jesus and the kingdom of God coming and what it's like than you might ever expect or imagine. And so let's stand. We'll start with scripture right off the bat this morning. And it's one verse. So you're going to stand for a very short amount of time. It is Isaiah 9 verse 6. And hopefully if you've ever been around a Christmas or Advent series in any kind of a church, if a church ever doesn't read this verse, they're probably doing something wrong, right? So you'll recognize it. It is Isaiah 9, 6, and here's what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's the word of the Lord. Have a seat. So this is one of these crazy rich passages. We have, you know, the, this promise that a child will be born. We'll get into kind of why, you know, it starts with the word for, and there's some adage there that I'll get into, and we'll look in the, the beginning of Isaiah 9 a little bit as we go here. But there are, after this promise of the, the son to be born, of the child to come, and the government to rest upon his shoulders, we get these four descriptors, the names of Jesus, so to speak. Right. If you were here at the Christmas event yesterday, one of the things we handed out is these little family advent kits. And inside of them, one of the things that you can do is you can make this kind of chain link thing, uh, one each day for, for 25 days, that are all the names of Jesus, right? Well, here's, here's four of them in one verse. Right? There's no other verse that gives you this much Jesus in this nice of a small condensed package, right? And so we learn four different names that are attributed to this child that is prophesied by Isaiah to be born. So let's, let's start with just a little bit of context, and then today we're going to look at what to do with this name of Wonderful Counselor. Right? As the weeks progress, we'll look at the rest of them, but today, Wonderful Counselor. And we need to start with a, just a, a little bit of Isaiah context, not, not too much, not like usual, but just a little bit. Right? Isaiah 8, the previous chapter, is one of the gloomiest chapters in all of the book of Isaiah. Right? There's, there's words in there that you just don't really want to hear. It's talking about the impending Assyrian invasion. Remember, Assyrian Empire conquered the north, then the Babylonian Empire conquered the south. So we're a couple hundred years back to where we ended with our minor prophet series. We're going, we're going backwards in time a little bit. Right? But there's, there's this prophecy coming of the Assyrian invasion. And, and the words that, like the last set of verses in Isaiah 8 includes words like, like distress, anguish, Thick darkness and gloom. Right? It's not a fun chapter to read, which is why we're not reading it today. We're going to the fun chapter, because this is Advent, and Advent is hopeful today as we speak of, right? So he has this whole gloom about the Assyrian invasion and all the, the darkness and, and thick darkness and all these things that will come as part of that. And then chapter 9 begins like this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. That's the opening of the chapter that we find our verse in, right? Isaiah 9, 1. It's this immediate reversal of, of the passage of impending pain that, that is predicted just one verse prior in the end of chapter 8. And so 8, gloomy, 9, joyful, hopeful, happy, 
all kinds of good things that come as a result of that, right? And so the, the verse 2 continues with the phrase, well, well, there's going to be a reversal. Okay, what's it look like? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in darkness, on them a light has shone. You, you, again, familiar Advent passages, right? And so Isaiah 6, or Isaiah 9, 1 through 5, speaks of a time of wonderful great hope and this removal of the yoke of oppression that the Israelites are facing. Right? Isaiah uses contrasts of light and darkness to talk about these ideas of oppression and liberation. Right? I should flip that. Darkness and light, oppression, liberation. Right? That's kind of the, the theme and the motif that he uses throughout a lot of his writing. And so once we get to our passage, it says, for unto us. And when, this was a great little lesson, if you want to have a free Bible study lesson, I had a, a professor in undergrad, who was one of my shaping counselor mentors, who had the phrase that I'll never forget. He said, if the Bible has a for, you always ha- or a therefore, you always want to ask, what is it there for? Right? And so when you see for, or because, or but, or therefore, those kinds of transitioning words, you always know that there was something that came ahead. Well, in this case, it's the hope. There will be a light that comes. There's a light in the darkness. And, and so, well, well, how can there be a light? Well, it's because for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Wonderful counselor, right? Those, those are the, the, the four. The, the, the grounding verse of 9-6 is what gives us the reason for how all the good stuff in the first five verses can happen. And so we have this hope that is given to the Israelites and to us, and all of it comes because Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that there is one coming, and he shall be all of these things, right? There will be a son. And Isaiah then goes on to assign this child to come, the various names that we've heard. And so the first of these is Wonderful Counselor. Now, we have both cultural and textual issues with the phrase wonderful counselor that we have to overcome if we're going to understand what Isaiah means when he calls Jesus the coming son, the child to be born, wonderful counselor in our context. I'm really sorry. I'm just struggling a little bit this morning. If you ever want to know how bad I'm doing, if this, if this is tea and not coffee, that's, that should be, if you ever see a tea bag kind of right here, that's your indicator that it's not a not a good voice day in the kingdom because I don't drink tea unless I medically have to um, or unless I'm sick, right? So the, fir- the first thing we have to overcome here is, is to understand that, that the term counselor or is not so much what we think of today. When you think of the word counselor in a modern context, for me at least, I don't know about you, the, f- the first two images that, that come to mind are number one, like laying on a couch with a therapist, and sharing all your burdens and problems, right? There's a counselor who you go and see counseling. If you have marital issues, you go to marriage counseling. If you have anxiety issues, you know, you, you'll see a, a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any kind of ist that can help you with those kinds of things, and you, you, you talk with them, and they counsel you. Or as many of them will tell you, they, they lead you <laughs> through to your own conclusions. They help you process that's going on in your life. But that's not what we think of. The second image I think of is lawyer. Like, like, well done, counselor, right? And so those are the two things, but those have nothing to do with what Isaiah means when he says wonderful counselor. Counselor was a, a very much political leadership type of term 
to the ancient Israelite people. If you were a counselor, the way you would think about it in that time is the, the counsel that a king had, right? Kings would rule and they would have the king's counsel. And it would be a, a set of people, depending on what culture or religion it was, they might be, they might be you know, priests or, you know, when you look at Pharaoh, he had some of the magicians that seemed to be his kind of counsel, his inner circle. But whatever type of rule or reign there is, most of the time, no matter what the culture, the king, the ruler, the emperor, that some kind of a set of people smarter than him in specific areas, right? Today, we have a president, and the president has a cabinet, and a smart and wise president would refer, defer to the opinions and the thoughts and the suggestions of the member of the cabinet to whatever is going on, right? When you, when you talk about the secretary of defense, right, especially if you're a president who's never served in the military, you're probably going to want to hear from that secretary of defense with things. And so counselor is a political position type of term. It is the advisor to the king. And a king is only as good as his set of counsel. And a king who is wise is one who listens to counsel. We see this in scripture. There's all kinds of times where people that serve in the role of counselor come alongside of the king. You see it really prominently when you look at King David and the prophet Nathan has to confront him about his affair and murder you know, with Bathsheba and her, her husband's death that comes as a result of that. And he comes in very cautiously, but there's this counseling. There's, there's a king, but there is a person who has less authority and power than the king, but nonetheless kind of has the ability or the job or the prerogative to come and speak some hard truth to the king. And in David's case, he's, he's wise to listen to that counsel and to repent. And so that's the first thing we have to understand. We look at counselor. It's, it's not just a therapist type of person. Isaiah is not saying that Jesus who's coming, the son, is a great person who loves to listen to your problems. Although that is true, right? One of the roles that, that Christ fulfills in the, in the life of a Christian is that he wants to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you in prayer. He wants you to bring your troubles, your problems, your issues, your requests, your petitions, your sorrows to him and allow the peace to reign. That is a role, but that has nothing to do with what Isaiah is saying here, right? When he says counselor, he's saying the one who comes will be a phenomenal advisor in terms of the way that rule and reigning occurs. Right? He is one who will counsel you well. Now, you aren't a king or a president, and so when we translate this from a political kind of realm to a life realm, what it means is that Jesus is one not just who sits on the couch with you as you pour your life out to him and advises you, but he is one who counsels the way that you rule your life, the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you choose, the way that you prioritize, all of the things that you think, do, and are, are informed by the counsel of the one who is the wonderful counselor. Right? So that's, that's the first issue there. We have a bit of a, of a cultural shift with what counselor means, right? And each king had their counselor, and a good set of counselors was indispensable in order to rule effectively. And even for us today, good counsel is indispensable if we are going to be a people that live a good life the way that we are called to be and created to exist. We need that counselor. And so Isaiah applies that, that name to Christ. Christ is our best advisor, right? And so what kind of counselor is he? 
Well, a wonderful one. Amen. We can go home. Right? <laughs> so there's, there's two kind of uh, nerdy textual issues here. And you know, a lot of, I, I only get into to language kind of things when it's really helpful because I don't, I don't know. I don't feel a need to, to kind of show language prowess. But this is one of those times where like, Hebrew language really helps us out. We have two issues. Number one, um, in, in the Hebrew, both the term wonderful, which is pele in Hebrew, and counselor in, in this verse are nouns. Right? The word wonderful is not in the adjective form of the word. <clears throat> and so if you were going to translate this literally as, as a translator looking at the Hebrew text, you wouldn't say, and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You would say, and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Right? So there's really, we could have a five week sermon series on this and just spend time on, on, on wonderful today. But one of the things we, we note is in that passage, all of the other descriptors are what we call couplets, right? So we have this kind of you know, flow in the Hebrew language where all the other ones are mighty God, everlasting father, and those are adjectives, you know, prince of peace. And so what we assume is not that wonderful is meant to be standing as a noun, but that the, the noun use is just meant to emphasize just how wonderful of a counselor he is. He's wonderful counselor. Not just a wonderful counselor. Because right? we, we overuse the word wonderful, right? How many things in your life are wonderful? Right? Your spouse is wonderful, but so is the meal you ate yesterday. Right? We use wonderful for a lot of things. Think of what the word wonderful means. Full of wonder. Like when you ate ice cream yesterday, it might have been wonderful, but, but, but was it so good that it filled you with wonder? I can't even comprehend how it's this good. Of course you can comprehend why ice cream's good. It's sugar and chocolate. That's why it's good, right? Or whatever the flavor of your preference and desire is. Chocolate ice cream is not a wonderful thing. It's a delicious thing, but it's not wonderful. There's no wonder as to how it got good. It's good because it's terrible for you and kills you slowly when you eat it, right? And so we overuse that word, and so it's, it's emphasized. Guys, don't just skip over it. He's a, he's a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Jesus is great. He's wonderful. He is a, he is a counselor who is full of wonder. And we, we get that emphasis when we understand the word wonderful itself. It comes from the Hebrew pele, and that term doesn't really translate as wonderful. It's a poor translation. A better way would be to say marvelous, incomprehensible, extraordinary, right? Let's look at another place in Scripture. This verse is totally unrelated to our sermon today, except for one thing. It uses this word, pele, and it's used pretty rarely in Scripture. But here's Psalm 139.6. It says, Such knowledge is too pele, wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The idea of wonderful here is a, a type of counselor that goes beyond human understanding. It's extraordinary, immeasurable. The, the, the kind of counselor that the child to be born is going to be is not something that makes sense on natural human terms. It's not just a, a great mentor figure that you can reminisce about later. The, the, the level and the awe of, of Christ's counsel in our life 
is something that is so far beyond human comprehension. It is so high, no man could ever attain it. Jesus as a counselor is a cut above all the rest and a deep cut. And so this this wonderful counselor phrase is, is used by Isaiah very intentionally. The language is chosen both in terms of what word he picks and what type of word, whether he makes it a noun or adjective. Every single little bit of how he writes out wonderful counselor is meant to tell us something about the nature of how Jesus serves as our counselor. It's a, a wisdom that comes that is marvelous to behold. Right? It's also a counsel born out of sympathy. When you look at Hebrews 4, what does it tell us? We don't have a high priest who's not able to sympathize in our weakness, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we have yet without sin. So Jesus' counsel isn't just full of wonder, awe-inspiring, extraordinary, divine, but it's also based on a life that understands our own circumstance. Right? Jesus just doesn't counsel you with a supernatural ability. He counsels you with a sympathetic understanding. When Jesus counsels you, he's gone through what you've gone through. He's been tempted as you have been tempted, Hebrews 4. He is our great high priest. We can vicariously exist through him. he, He understands our circumstance. And then in the midst of that understanding, in the fullness. So whenever you go through life and you're like, yeah, Jesus couldn't possibly know what that feels like. No, he can And whatever counsel he gives you as you explore his word and spend time in prayer, that counsel is birthed out of a deep understanding of your circumstance and where you're coming from. Jesus knows you and counsels you in a divine way, right? And because his counsel is so much bigger, it ought to be given a disproportional amount of weight, right? But, But why is his counsel so wonderful? Well, Because it's the wisdom of God himself, the one who created all things. And that wisdom is imparted on Jesus. Look at what uh, Isaiah says just a couple chapters later here in Isaiah 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He's still talking about that same child a couple chapters later. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Christ has infinite divine knowledge understanding, and wisdom. And we might think those terms all kind of mean the same thing, but they don't, right? If you think about it carefully, knowledge and understanding and wisdom are very different things, right? Knowledge is, is knowing something, right? Knowledge is, I know that two plus two is four. Right? Understanding is, I know how two plus two is four. Right? Wisdom is, I can use the fact that two plus two is four and apply it beneficially in my life when I'm checking out of the grocery store right, or whatever. Right? Wisdom is the, the ability to apply the knowledge and, and the understanding of that knowledge. Right? And so Christ has God's perfect, not just knowledge, he knows everything, every fact that is, that is to know, God knows it. And through God, Christ, the child, knows it. He understands it. He understands why things are what they are, not just that they are what they are. And he has the the infinite wisdom to take that understanding and apply it to our life, right? We know a lot of people in our lives who are really, really smart, but not wise, right? They could go on Jeopardy and make a killing, but they have no idea how to function with that information, right? 
How many people do you know that are really, really highly intelligent people, but they are just awful in social settings? They don't have any idea how to, how to wisely apply the knowledge in the day-to-day -day life that they lead, right? There's a difference. What, what Isaiah 11 tells us is that the child to be born will be a wonderful counselor because he has been imparted by God the fullness of all divine knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And so every single counsel that the child, that the Christ child gives you, provides you, is birthed out of the fullness of knowledge, of understanding, and of wisdom. Right? Your wonderful counselor promised in Isaiah 9, 6, is one who takes everything, knows all things, all the things that you know, all the things you don't know. He understands why they are the way they are and how everything functions together, and he has the wisdom to apply counsel to you that will allow you to use his knowledge and understanding to move forward in the best possible way. His counsel truly is full of wonder in every imaginable way. So where do, we, where do we do with this? Where, where do we take this? Two things. Number one, first, in, in a passage like this, we see that, that God has an unbelievably deep care for his people. Right? Why would God ever counsel us or promise a counselor in the first place unless he cared about us deeply? Right? We don't counsel people we don't care about. We don't take people under our wing and decide to mentor them unless we have a deep love and care for that person, or unless we're in a professional context being paid a lot of money to do it, right? We don't. So the very fact that God promises us and delivers through Christ on the promise of a wonderful counselor tells us that you serve a God who deeply cares about you and me. He cares. He wants to counsel you. He wants to take you under his wing to mentor you into the fullness of what he has for you. And so before we ever get into what we should do, we have to understand that, that the reason Isaiah gets to promise us a wonderful counselor is because we serve a God who cares, who loves us, who is for us and not against us. Right? That's the, the first thing. The second is that the only response of, of the Christian to, to the wonderful counselor is to walk in what we would call a joyful obedience. And that joyful is, is the key word there, even more than obedience. Because it's one thing to obey God's commands for our lives. It's a whole other thing to do it with joyful hearts. Right? Obedience without joy is not the same. Right? It maintains what we would think of as a superior attitude. Right? When we do things that we know God wants us to do, even though we don't want to do them and we do it begrudgingly, I hate dropping that check in the plate every evening. I could, I could be having nice dinners with that. Right? If, we, if we obey in a way that isn't joyful, what we're saying is, my, my way is superior, but I'm, I'm going to do it your way because, I don't know, I don't want you to hate me or get in trouble or go to hell or whatever. Right? It's a begrudging obedience. Right? Maybe you obey God out of fear. Ask yourself that. Are there any things that you do that are Christian, but you do them because you kind of have a deep fear that things won't go well for you otherwise? Right? Or is your obedience birthed out of joy? Because right? that is a differentiator. Joyful obedience says something entirely different. It says, I will listen, not because I am afraid of you, but I will listen because I trust your counsel. I will listen because I, I understand and apply in my heart a passage like Isaiah 9, 6. 
And when it says that you are the full of wonder counselor who sympathizes with me, Hebrews 4, then I'll take that to heart and I'll trust it. And and what that means is I'm going to joyfully obey you and I'm going to do it not because I feel like I have to or for the sake of fire insurance, but I'm going to do it because I trust that whatever my ways are, aren't as good as your ways. Because I'm not the full of wonder counselor. You are. I might think a certain way. I might think this is better, but I'm going to trust that that's just not true if you say otherwise, because you are the one who is wonderful and I am not. And so I will obey with joy because I trust that every time I obey Christ, it will go better for me than it could have on my own. That is what we mean by joyful obedient. And Jesus himself describes this, right? Look at John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, right? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Not my sheep see my rod and they run toward me or from me, right? The the way that Christian life works is that we are his sheep and we hear the voice and we know it. It's just deeply familiar and comforting and beautiful. And so we, we follow the voice because it soothes our soul. Right? In the same way that you, you have a, a natural inclination to listen to your, your favorite musical, musical artist, perhaps, because whatever is happening with their voice is just soothing to your, your soul. We follow Christ with a joyful obedience because he soothes our souls. Because his voice is wonderful and magical and beautiful and right and just and true. Right? That's, that's what we have when we have a, a spirit of obedience. I will listen to you, not because I have to, but because it just seems so beautiful and I can't help but not. Right? That's what he calls us to. As you, as you spend this week in preparation and in Advent mindsets, ask yourself, is, is Christ in your life re- really serving the role of a wonderful, a full of wonder counselor? Is he the one that you rely on? Not out of some compulsion, but because it's just, ah, oh, it's just that sweet and good. Right? And if not, ask the Lord to, to do some work, some surgery in your heart this week that you might be walking in obedience, not with a begrudging or under your breath, but with a joyful heart because you trust that God is just so good and his counsel is informed by the, the infinite amount of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that comes to you and that Isaiah says, through the child is promised to each and every one of us who calls on his name, right? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the, the person of Christ that you sent into our midst to live as, as we lived, to function in many ways as, as we do, just without sin. You sent him into this world so that we might have somebody who can sympathize with us. God, we, we walk through this world, and man, it's, it's hard sometimes. It, it's so easy to feel like no one knows what we're going through. Like no one could understand our circumstance People try to speak wisdom and truth in their lives and our instincts are to say, well, but you don't know what I am going through. And so, Lord, we, we rejoice that you promise us that you do. And that through the words of Isaiah the prophet, you promise us a child who lives like we lived, who suffers like we suffered, or suffered like we suffer. 
and is able to sympathize. We praise you that when we pray to Christ, that he knows our pain and counsels us through it. And that through that, his, 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 his advice and his counsel to us is good and just and true and magnificent and truly full of wonder. Well, we pray for obedient spirits that walk with Christ in joy, with joy in our hearts, not with trepidation, not with fear, but with joy, knowing and trusting that whatever life we can imagine, the one that he has laid out for us is that much greater. We love you and we praise you. And all of God's people said together, Amen.